This is the Boxing Betting Show with Tom Craze. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Boxing Betting Show. I'm your host, Tom Craze. Now, if you're new to the show, as the name suggests, this is a podcast focusing exclusively on boxing betting. The idea, though, is to try and do things a bit differently um, from other betting podcasts out there, boxing or otherwise. You won't find me shouting odds or ill-conceived tips at you on behalf of a bookmaker looking for the lowest common denominator. I've got no affiliate links to sell to you, and there will be no Z-list celebrities interviewed who wouldn't know their Kelly Criterion from their Kelly Pavlik, or indeed their Martingale from their Charles Martin. Instead, all I can promise is well-researched, reasoned analysis that will hopefully get you thinking more about your own betting, a focus on value, and some of the theory behind the numbers as well. If this isn't your first listen, hopefully everything I've just mentioned is exactly why you've come back for more, so thank you. Without further ado then, a very big fight this weekend, and a hugely significant one. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko versus Tiafimo Lopez for the lightweight championship of the world. What I would say now is this, don't get too bogged down with the WBC nonsense, who are quite literally making up rules as they go along uh, with this franchise title. Canelo couldn't lose the franchise title in the ring when it was bought in. A um, bit of a U-turn, and, and now Lomachenko can. It's uh, it's a good enough fight now that Lomachenko can have his belt passed over to Tiafimo for whatever that's worth. Frankly, I think given everything the year has thrown at us, it's probably a good time to consider whether your life would actually be better off ignoring the WBC and all its foibles altogether from this point going forward. You know, a lot gets said about the various sanctioning bodies and which is the best or rather which is the least worst. The WBC seems to get a bit of an easy ride sometimes um, and it's probably one of, if not the worst, right up there with the WBA. Um, let's just forget about them all, shall we? It's, this is number one versus number two with the uh, TBRB. Uh, it's the champion at lightweight versus their number one contender with the Ring magazine. And frankly, it's as good as it gets at the moment at the £135 limit. Joining me for the Big Fight Breakdown this week and making his debut on the show is sports writer Ron Lewis. Ron, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, good. I'm glad boxing's going again. And, you know, it seems week on week we've got some good fights going on at the moment. So it's quite, quite encouraging. Ron, for the guys listening who, or guys and girls listening rather, who may not know who you are, um, kind of an intro to your, yourself from me rather, um, I would say that you, Ron, are kind of one of the, the bastions or maybe last bastions of boxing coverage in the, certainly in the British press, but also in the specialist boxing media as well. And I'm going to run through your credentials for, for the listeners. And I guess the question I'm going to ask myself after reading all of this is why I didn't get you on this show before. So, Ron Lewis published in The Times, The Sunday Times, The Telegraph, The Observer, The Guardian, The Evening Standard, uh, Daily Mirror, Sunday Mirror, People, Daily Star, Daily Express, um, Australian Daily Telegraph, a regular contributor for Boxing Scene, written for Boxing News, regular appearances on Sky Sports, uh, BT Sport, Box Nation, Talk Sport, Radio 5 Live, um, have covered three Olympic Games, two World Athletics Championships, two World Boxing Amateur Boxing Championships, uh, numerous world title fights around the globe, Premier League, Champions League, Football, Wimbledon and Masters Tennis. Um, all of which is to say you've kind of been around the block um, a bit, Ron. Um, yeah, uh, that, that, that's not my, um, I mean, that, that's uh, some of those papers I haven't written boxing for, to be oh, fair. Um, yeah. um, 
But I first got into boxing writing, oh, it was in the early 80s. Uh, I mean, I'm 51 now. So it would have been, I first wrote for Boxing News in about 1985 or 86, maybe 84, mm-hmm. uh, when I was in sort of early teens. I was at school and uh, I was a bit of a big boxing fan. It goes back to, um, um, sort of through my dad, I started watching boxing. Uh, my, my dad was a big classical music fan and he ended up buying a couple of debentures at the Albert Hall. And the Albert Hall, uh, I saw my first fight at the Albert Hall when I was about nine. And okay. uh, my first hero was Dave Boy Green. And, uh, but through that, I got a huge interest in boxing. I started writing about it from a local paper and boxing news when I was about 13, 14, I suppose. And, um, you know, and, and from there, it's, it's sort of moved on. I sort of got out of boxing a bit. I mean, I wrote Frank Maloney's programs for him in the days before Lennox Lewis while I was at school. After I left school, I went to, went to college and did journalism course. And after that, I got out of boxing for a bit because I was following their advice of, you know, you're best off having a rounded thing. So I, I worked in local papers and was a news writer for a bit and then got back into it when I started working for the Times about, uh, I, I first started the Times in 2001. And that's when I really got back into boxing and I became their boxing writer and then their boxing correspondent. And on from then, I was their athletics correspondent as well. So you know, it's been a, it's been, you know, I've done, I've done a fair bit. There's plenty more to do. I'm still a young man. And I'm right in saying, uh, of, of course, you, you like a occasional bet on, on the boxing as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I am a, you know, some would say compulsive gambler, but I wouldn't like <laughs> to think of that. But I do have limit, you know, I do set myself limit. But I'm, I'm mostly, I, I'm actually mostly like betting on horse racing actually, because I, I find okay. that that um, I, I do much better at boxing than I do at that. But I don't like it to affect my opinion on things. I don't like to be thinking that I'm watching a fight, wanting a result to happen because I've got money on it. I I like to be able to call everything straight. And I always think I have done. I remember, you know, back to the days when I was a teenager, I remember um, I remember I did a, I did a report on um, a, a boxing for Boxing News. I did it on a guy who went on to be a British champion, Andy Till, lost his, lost his British title to... Um, Rob McCracken, I knew Andy quite well, and he was quite an intimidating guy, but you know, he was kind of a friend. But and I remember he fought one of his early fights, and I, I covered it, and um, he was in Battersea. And um, he um, lost to a guy, I think Dean Scar beat him. And I said to him, I thought you lost, and he was furious when I wrote this, absolutely furious at me. But I was just like, well, you know, that's that's was my view, and I'll stick by my view. The ref got it right, but there we are. Can you think of a bet before we kind of go into the talking about the fights coming up um, that kind of maybe you know stands out that you look back on fondly and think yeah that that's probably the the best bet I've ever had on on the boxing. I, I think the biggest bet I ever had in any single thing was one that was a, it seems a strange thing now that I actually backed it, which was Eric Morales to win his first, the, their first fight with um, Manny Pacquiao. Okay, I seem to remember it was something like five to two, and I thought that's a sensational bet. And looking back on their careers now, and he, he won the first fight, and um, looking back on um, their respective careers, you would think, wow, that's a, you know, what, what Pacquiao went on to do. It's almost amazing that Morales beat him as good a fighter as Morales was, but, yeah. um, but uh, that's, that's kind of one that sticks in my mind. We'll move on then to the, I'd say not the only fight this weekend, but the, certainly the one that's, that's got everyone talking. And I think it's the best 
certainly the biggest fight, but it's probably the best fight on paper. Um, I think it's going to have to go some to be better than um, Zepeda and Branchik last weekend. But mm. uh, Lomachenko um, and Tiafimo Lopez um, for the unified um, lightweight championship. I was going to say the undisputed lightweight championship, but the WBC have kind of messed everything up with the franchise. The franchise mess, yeah. yeah. What was your kind of gut reaction when this fight was was made, Bron? Did you look at it as, as a good fight as I do? I look forward to every fight with Lomachenko. I mean, I, you know, I go back to Lomachenko to um, guard the amount of times. Uh, you know, it's strange when you look at when when you're sort of involved in the sport. You have certain um, boxers you cover who are kind of sort of like you know friends or borderline friends, and then you have there are a few people you are still kind of slightly a fan of. And I've always been a fan of Lomachenko, mm. and indeed Usyk for that matter as well. I mean, you know, ever since I first saw him in Beijing, and then I saw him at. Uh, the European champs in Liverpool that year, uh, that same year, and I saw him in a couple of world championships in Milan and Azerbaijan and, um, and you know, London Olympics. And when you boxed in the WSB at your goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I look forward to every Lomachenko fight. I think he's, he is um, as, as close to non-stop watchable as anyone could be. You know, he, it's not about whether or not he's destructive or not, or that sort of thing, but the amount of thought and precision he puts into his work and the ideas he comes up with when he's in the ring. And for someone of that much skill and that much dominance to, to not be content in his fights with to just let him drift out to boring points decisions, because there have been so many people who have been good boxers over the time in history. And, and you see, see a lot of them, um, you know, when, when they're in with opponents who, you know, are, are determined to go the distance, you know, they, they can be in some stinkers because essentially you get to a stage where they struggle to get rid of them. Rid of them. But, yep, um, yep. but with Lomachenko, what he does is, is just incredible. I mean, he, steps, he thinks sort of three or four moves ahead, sort of opening people up. And, and um, I mean, I mean the, the interesting thing about lightweight, of course, is he's not a lightweight. And so... All the people he's been beating at lightweight, he's been beating bigger guys. And Lopez is a prime example of that. And um, that's where the risk is. That's where the risk is. I remember I went to see him um, almost nearly a couple of years ago now in, in Oxnard. It was the week before um, week before Fury Wilder won. I drove out to Oxnard and saw him at his gym. And, you know, he was saying there that, you know, because the assumption is, oh, you win at lightweight, you go up to light welter, you yeah. know, you go up to yeah. welter, and he just said, no way, he can't do it. And, and he's clever enough about it, him and his dad, that, that they, that they'll take on anything, but, you know, you've got to be sensible about it. There's no point, you know, where do you end up? You end up going up to middleweight, and it's just you know, not going to happen. But, you know, there's a great sort of purity about that as well, that there's, you know, there have been enough stories about people moving up through the weights and, the uh, somewhat dubious ways they do it, but that's not a, uh, even a suggestion. I think that's that's the thing in this. I mean, I, I find it difficult to give Lopez a great chance in this fight, other than purely on his size and and you know if he can catch him. And obviously, you catch Lomachenko. Good luck to you, mate. But um, <laughs> um, but he does, you know, Lomachenko does come forward. He does essentially give give people a chance. But we'll see if. Lopez is good enough to take that. In terms of Lopez, you know, he's coming off his, his best win um, to date, a very good win against Richard Comey, but 
how do you prepare for someone like Lomachenko? There's no one, certainly no one quite like him at the moment to pick as a, you know, a, a kind of comparable sparring partner. But, you know, you could, you could say there's not been anyone like Lomachenko, you know, ever, not, not in terms of pure ability that, you know, there have been potentially better skill fighters, but in terms of the, the traps that he sets, the footwork, the, you know, the, as you say, the kind of thinking two, three, four steps ahead. How, you know, especially for a young fighter like, like Lopez, how do you kind of go about not only taking that step up in class, but, but putting yourself against such a, a kind of a puzzle in that sense? Well, I mean, what you got to do is come up with a game plan and then and work to that game plan. And, and the only way you can, I suppose, what you have to be against a guy like Lomachenko is patience. Because um, you have to hope that your chance will come. I don't think you're going to, um, I mean, obviously the defeat, um, you know, people would look at the defeat Lomachenko had in a pros to Salido and uh, think, um, and, and that wasn't, you know, I, I don't think you can get much from that because A, because, you know, it was an outrage because what did he get hit low 57 times or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. But also I think he was overly pacing himself in that fight. You've got to remember it was only a second pro fight. And he'd never gone anywhere near 12 rounds. So um, also in the last two rounds of that, Lomachenko came very, very close to stopping him. And um, so I, th I think Lomachenko obviously learned a huge amount from that. Yeah. And But there is that, that thing that he, he, you know, he has got such confidence in himself that you essentially have to wait for what's going to work. And people might look at, um, you know, I mean, Lomachenko has been the floor, he has been caught. But that, that's that's where your hope lies. Your hope doesn't really lie with with trying to outwork him because I think you can get very easily caught off balance and and manoeuvred around doing that. You have to kind of get into walk into shots and then work from there. And for that, a guy like Lopez, I think he's got to be really patient and he's got to, um, as I say, wait for the chances to come and, and you know look for what shot is going to work and when that's there, try and land that shot. Looking at the, the actual odds for the fight themselves, then um, trying to weigh up the obviously you're trying to put a number on on Lopez's chance here of mm. of an upset. Um, Lomachenko is now the uh, one to three three to one on favourite, so minus three hundred. Best price mm. with that is um, Gentry Bet actually, um, who've who've kind of stuck their neck out a little bit. So seventy five percent ch uh, chance of a Lomachenko win. They're saying general price four to one on. Um, that's kind of right across the industry, 80%. And as short as 80, uh, 83%, um, so one to five minus 500 on Lomachenko. That leaves Lopez then at a outside chance of three to one plus 300. So 25% chance um, is, and that, that's kind of, again, general price um, on Lopez. Um, a little bit shorter in places as well, 27%. So uh, 11 to four plus 275. Um, five to two around as well actually um plus 250 and 29 what's your kind of um your reaction to that does that how, how does that feel ron oh, i can't fair enough i, I you know i mean i'm i might even make Lomachenko be shorter than that um mm. I, I think i think you know things have to go really right i think for lopez to win and uh, you know he's he's capable of that, but but you know I think I don't think it's the right time to kind of bet against Lomachenko. I think you know he's had what 
14 months out of the ring, uh, he won't have wasted that time. He, he won't have, um, you know, he, he, a, a boxer who works off his reflexes and that sort of thing, you know, they, they, a day will come where the, the reflexes aren't quite there, the speed isn't quite there, but I doubt that's anywhere close with Lomachenko right now. I think he's been, you know, obviously he's trained by his dad. He'd have been um, back home in Ukraine for a long time. And um, I think he'd have been working hard for this and he, he knows who he'd have had and um, he's not the sort of man to take his eye off the ball, I don't think. Yeah, I'm, I kind of with you. I think looking at it, if you say, well, I can get, I can get three to one, I can get 75% on uh, Vasily Lomachenko winning any given, any given kind of fight. Um, that feels pretty reasonable to me. I, I think one to three is is a little bit generous. Um, obviously, it's not that's not a price to everyone's kind of liking or, or, or kind of betting style. We saw Lomachenko get dropped against Linares in in what looked at the time it was a flash knockdown, and obviously went on to um, to stop Linares. Then felt a bit like complacency or, or, or kind of a, you know just a, a momentary lapse. Did you read anything into that for Lopez' chances? Uh, not really. I think I think there's a there's a worry that you build up Lopez into a guy who he hasn't necessarily shown he is. I mean, obviously that was an impressive win over over Comey. but you take that out and um, you know, and again, you're saying oh, he's the biggest puncher. He's um, he's face. Is he? Is he? Is he mm-hmm. even a bigger puncher than Linares? Because um, one one thing you need is uh, there's no point being a big puncher if you haven't got the skills to land the punches, and what you need and and it's again with a guy like Lomachenko, what what you kind of do need is experience because you need experience to be able to firstly work away under the sort of pressure he puts people under, and secondly to actually have the skills to move yourself into a position to land your shots. And Lopez, I mean, how old's Lopez now? Is he 20? 23, I think. 23. And he's he boxed, uh, I mean, you know, I always sort of think of, often about these, um, you know, you look at their amateur credentials, you know, because that's the grounding in them. And he boxed at uh, Rio four years ago. So, I mean, that puts him in a sort of, if you look at the British guys who came out of Rio and time-wise, so you're looking at sort of Boatsy, Joyce was obviously older and... Um, and uh, that sort of thing, yeah. but Akoli and people like that who came out of that and where they are in their career, and he's ahead of that. But you know, he went to he went to Rio and he lost his first fight, and you know, so you know, he is a very raw um, talent. He isn't a guy who has much seasoning on him either as an amateur or a pro, and I think that's going to make things very difficult against a guy as as wise as uh, Lomachenko. So again, you saw what he did to Linares, and Linares is a really great fighter. Um, you know, he did over over several years in several divisions, and, and yeah, that takes some doing. And, um, and yeah, he was probably a bit faded by the time he fought Lomachenko, and he did have his successes, but, you know, I I would, you know, Lopez against uh, Linares would be a good fight right now. I think there's there's always a, a worry. I mean, you see it with an, another guy like Ryan Garcia, who charges through it to a certain level, and suddenly the hype around them gets so enormous. And in a way, it's even worse these days with sort of social media hype. And, um, you know, suddenly it's like, you know, everyone is expected to fall down in front of them. And, um, 
you know, I'm sure Logan's been very well paid for a long chain fight, and, and hats off to him for taking it rather than, you know, doing, you know, looking to defend his title and then, then hoping Lomachenko goes away kind of thing. But um, I think he's in for a very tough night, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any any doubt Lopez has been fast-tracked, has there? He's, this is, what, going to be his 16th fight? Um, two fights, I mean, if you look at his record, comparing it to potentially, you know, some of the British guys, you know, Coley is, you know, operating at, at European now. Um, two fights ago, Lopez was fighting um, Edith Tatley, who is, you know, a solid European kind of level operator, but nothing, nothing more than that. And, and after that, there was uh, Nakatani, who was, you know, a rankings opponent. And Komi was the big first step up, which was, a, you know, a, a test that he passed well. But it's a, it's a massive leap again, isn't it? Depend, you know, depending on how Lomachenko looks, of course. But there's a danger that he could really extinguish any um, kind of anticipation once it's underway. But, you know, any kind of feeling that this could be really competitive quite early. If he, mm-hmm. if he, he really puts his foot on the gas, you, you can kind of... I'm obviously speculating here, but you can imagine a scenario where a few rounds in Lopez starts looking a little bit lost and thinking, well, hang on, this is, this is well above my, my station here, um, which would be the worst possible outcome for us watching, you know, hoping for a kind of a, a, a real competitive fight. But at the same time, you, you'd imagine that would be showcasing Lomachenko at his best. Um, I mean, looking at the ways to, I guess, the path to victory and, and the, the method of victory markets, um, Lomachenko by decision um, jumped out at me. The best price on that is just short of even money. So bet we are going 19 to 20. Uh, mm. So minus 105 in the US, so 51%. That jumps out at me as being really, really solid. Um, I would say there's, okay, so if you're just saying between 75 and 80-ish percent chance of a Lomachenko win, 51% that he wins by decision feels a little bit understating. I think, you know, there's a slight shorter available, five to six, um, which is a, the more general price, three, six, five, Pally Power, Betfair all going five to six, so 55% on that. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I can see Lomachenko stopping him or certainly not creating that opportunity until very late. Um, w- would you kind of agree with that, that you know, yeah, to an extent. I mean, I think, um, you know, you've got to remember that uh, Lomachenko went through a very long period of making people quit, but making very mm. good fighters quit, didn't he? And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't find I, I wouldn't find that, you know, incredible if that happened. But you've got to think, up at lightweight um, against a bigger guy and with a sort of uh, slightly macho hype around Lopez, I think he's going to be... Um, I think he's going to be left in there unless he's um, taken a, a, a terrible beating. And um, yeah, so I, th- I think I think that's, that's a solid bet. That's a solid bet. I mean, you know, it's not you know, nothing to certainty, is it? But but you know, I would say um, you know, virtually even money sounds like it's a good, good price on that. When a fighter goes up in weight, and increasingly you see their yeah, um, you know the stoppages sort of dry up. It hasn't really been the case for um, Lomachenko at all. Stop Linares went the distance with Pedraza, who's you know awkward um, enough. Uh, obviously, Crollo overmatched and, really and was negative and was negative and, with, and was negative. Um, I mean, and, I mean, Campbell shows yeah. what a good fighter Campbell is that he yeah. went twelve rounds because because I remember a couple of points. I think it was in about the eleventh when he really went for the stoppage. 
Lomachenko and, and you know, Campbell showed how good a fighter Campbell was. He was able to actually yeah. stand up to it. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. So I think it's likely to be either, you know, if it's not going to be points, you'd think it would be a similar situation to that. that he stops and he, he goes for it in, you know, say the 11th or 12th or something like that. But, um, but you know, you, you would think that um, if you were on top, they'll be thinking about what the risk from Lopez is as well. That's that's the other thing. If they think Lopez's biggest chance is to land a, you know, to land a, you know, a big, one big shot, then they're going to be watching out for that as well. They're, they're not going into this having no idea who Lopez is. I mean, the the bookies agree with that kind of mindset, really. I think the the distance, fight to go the distance, yes, is eight to thirteen, so minus one six two, sixty two percent. Um, that it does go the 12, uh, 11 to 8, that it doesn't. Uh, that's uh, and of that, you, it's, it's, it's unlikely to see Lopez, you'd think, beating Lomachenko on points, isn't it? So so that makes the, you know, 9 to 10 or whatever look, look a pretty good bet, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's and that's the other question with, with Lopez. If, you, if you're going to say, you know, if you're a Lopez backer or if you're, you're kind of considering back, backing Lopez this weekend, you look at the three to one outright, and then you you've got the dis, the difference in the methods between uh, so fifteen to two um, plus seven fifty, uh, which is what twelve percent. What am I talking about? Fifteen to two that he does so by decision, which is the out the kind of rank outsider of all of the main methods. There, conventional wisdom would say that, as, as you say, Ron, that's not gonna that's unlikely to happen. Uh, Eleven to two best price, so plus five fifty, fifteen um, percent that he gets the stoppage. If, if someone's telling me you, you have to put a bet on Lopez this weekend, I'm I'm think I'm skipping over that three to one and going straight for the uh, for the knockout at eleven to two. Um, mm. I, I I but he's got to land, isn't he? He's got to land, and he's got he's got to really um, you know he's got to make his size count. I what you can't see is you can't really see him outboxing Lomachenko. No, you know. You think sometimes the bigger guy could possibly do that, but you can't really see that happening. So essentially, you think he's got to get to him, and um, and Lomachenko is also a fighter. You don't think would sit around and accept the decision if he was having a tough night. You can't really see him running away and just sort of say, "Well, it's not my night. I'm, I'm going to lose on points." I think what, what works against Lopez here as well is that he's not really a. Okay, so you're trying to look at ways that someone can really get to Lomachenko, and you think one way, okay, is to go the Salido route and try and really rough him up on the on the inside. That's not really Lopez's game, is it? He's he's mm. you know he he sits not so at range, but at mid range, looking for that big, big um, you know the the big shot that served him so well so far. That's kind of meat and drink to Lomachenko as well, isn't it? That's that's where he wants him. Yeah, I mean, one of the things Lopez, oh, sorry, Lopez, Lomachenko is so good at is, um, I mean, you've seen all those sort of um, extra sort of skill things he does, you know, with uh, punching the ball on that, on you know, the tennis ball tied to his head and, and those sort of um, reaction charts. Is he's got great vision. He's got great vision, whereas he can see what's going on, and you know, he just seems sort of superhuman in that sense, in in that. It's it's unlikely he's going to get caught by a shot he won't see. So if you're not going to do that, you've actually got to manoeuvre him into a position where you're going to land the shot. And, and again, this is where it, you know 
you know, I mean, I mean, Lopez has got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of power. He's, he's quite. An, he's a very explosive fighter. But he, he's got to find a way of imposing that onto Lomachenko, and then, it, you know, you'd fancy Lomachenko to find a way to deal with that. And and, and also in a twelve-round fight, that's kind of long, long fight to sort of, you know. To, to work that out for you know you can certainly see Lopez having his moments but you know to actually dominate it for a long period of time I think it's going to be tricky well we mentioned um a few minutes ago Luke Campbell um obviously recently announced that he will be fighting um, Ryan Garcia uh December um what's your I'm, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on that because I've, I've heard so many differing opinions on that um, the odds are up for that. So Campbell is the is the underdog. So uh, about eleven to ten, five to four. Um, Garcia four to six favorite, eight to thirteen. How, how do you see that fight? I think that's a fascinating one from a from a betting point of view. I think that's a sensational bet on Campbell. Sensational bet. Okay. Garcia's, you know, I mean Garcia's largely unknown, isn't he? He's, he's again a kid on the way up, um, and you know you got to think if you're backing Garcia. You're backing him on the basis of what? You're backing on the basis of being who? And um, it's one of the things that gets me sometimes. You get a lot of TV commentary when they refer to people as definite future world champions. And it's like, well, where is he a definite future world champion? What, what are you basing that off? You're basing that off a win at a much lower level. Um, you know, when you, when you see things like, I mean, it's, all, you know, it's nice to get excited about prospects and that sort of thing. But the other day there was um, Dennis McCann boxing. And uh, said, "Oh, what prospect? Certain future champion?" And it's like, "Well, based on what? Based on a stoppage of a guy who lost his last thirty fights, mm. you know, because that's the level they're at. And to actually win these fights, to win a world title or, or any title of that matter, a British title, when they get there, they've got to do better than they've ever done before. They've got to do a bigger win than they've ever done before to win that fight. And that's very much the, the situation that." Um, Garcia's in. Garcia is, I mean, Garcia's obviously got a sensational bit of power. And I remember seeing him, the first time I saw Garcia, he was on the undercard of, they do a Friday night fight at, uh, often at the MGM, um, the, the convention center before, before the big fights. And it might have been before Canelo and uh, Golovkin won. I was out there and, and and he knocked someone's guy out in, in, in a round. And he looked sensational. And he does look sensational. I won't take that away from him the slightest. And, you know, his, his last... Has he fought since he boxed? Uh, boxed Fonseca, didn't he? Who was the... Uh, that was his last fight. Yeah. Around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good win. I mean, we saw Fonseca over here in a, um, in, in a good fight. But that's not Luke Campbell level, is it? No. And And it's not... You know, and if you see what Campbell did against Lomachenko and you're basing it on the basis of uh, Garcia, what he did to uh, Fonseca, then, what, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's largely gambling, is uh, betting is, is like form reading, isn't it? And you, you've got to base it on the form. You, you think maybe, yeah, he looks at the part, maybe he could do this, he could do this, but he hasn't shown it. And again, he wasn't a guy who showed it as an amateur either. Um, he was, um, I mean, I remember chatting to Devin Haney about him and he, he, um, they, they boxed each other a few times as, as amateurs. And that's kind of level with him and Lopez and, and Haney. And, and, and they could make a real sort of group of big fighters in the year ahead. But I think 
Campbell's um, proved himself, hasn't he? He's proved himself as an amateur. He proved himself as a pro. He's um, he was unlucky to lose to Linares, and um, you know, and then he was in with Lomachenko. And if Garcia can beat Campbell, he's a very special fighter. But there's nothing in his record which says he's going to beat him, or that he should be favourite for me. We'll bring it right back round then to uh, Lomachenko Lopez, um, Ron, and uh, we'll round off the conversation just with a very simple question for you. If you had to pick just one bet this weekend um, on the on the big fight, where's your money going? Uh, I'll go Lomachenko points. I think that's um, you know that's not unbelievably restricted, but you know if 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 Lomachenko is generally about four to one on, if you can get anywhere near evens for a Lomachenko points mm. win, I think it's not a bad bet. And what price would you say that that becomes unbackable? And what price would you say? Mm, I, I, uh, I would say uh, four to six, something like that. Brilliant. It's, uh, yeah, it's been really nice talking to you, Ron. Hopefully, um, we'll do it again. No Excellent. Take care, Tom. Speak Cheers, later, mate. Bye bye. You're listening to The Boxing Betting Show. Now, it's a sign of how strange a year it's been that Lewis Ritson, one of the UK's biggest ticket sellers up in Newcastle, is headlining a show in Peterborough. Uh, city you wouldn't normally associate boxing with at all uh, and about 200 miles away. Ritson is up against Miguel Vasquez, uh, best priced 1-8 to eight and 1-9 to nine favourite Ritson, uh, that's with Genting and Bet365 respectively. Vasquez then the 13-2 to two, uh, plus 650 underdog with Genting and 6-1 to one, um, with Betfred, 5-1 to one available more generally as well. Now this looks like a very trappy kind of fight for Ritson who at a certain level, it's a very good action fighter. He meets fire with fire. He's got a bit of pop. I saw him last time out in a really good fight against Robbie Davis Jr. Um, but I think the fact that this card is also going under the radar adds to the the kind of banana skin feel here. When the opponent he's up against is a bit more crafty, a bit cuter, we saw it against Francesco Patera. He was asked a lot of questions in that fight that he didn't necessarily have the answer for. Vasquez then is the kind of definition of a wily veteran, um, 51 fights into his career, very, very road tested and a lot of miles on the clock. Not necessarily old at 33, says your 36 year old narrator somewhat optimistically, uh, but he's he's kind of the archetypal crafty operator on the fringes at um, light welter at 140. Um, obviously seen better days, but up against the right kind of opponent, he's still a test. Look, you couldn't say Vasquez is in good form on paper, since being stopped by Josh Taylor, there's no shame in that. Um, he's gone three and three. He's only actually lost to good fighters, though. He was blasted out in nine rounds by Mbenge, a guy who went on to lose to Sebastian Formella, um, who's just been announced as Conor Ben's next opponent. So in theory, that's a decent test for Conor Ben. And Vasquez dropped a decision to the Kazakh, Dukenbaev. Um, Dukenbaev won pretty much a shutout um, against Vasquez which isn't easy to do, um, and Dukenbaev, I think, is going to be a bit of a handful in that division too. Fans in the UK, though, particularly, may remember Vasquez taking on O'Hara Davis on an MTK show. Uh, Davis, of course, just won the Golden Contract Tournament the other week. But against Vasquez, Davis got a very, very fortunate decision. Um, I think, at best, you would describe it as kind of a house decision. At worst, it was an out-and-out robbery. Um... And it was it was pretty much the exact kind of fight that Vasquez can get a foothold in. Very very slow pace, little action, very cagey. 
the type of fight where you can win rounds um, just on jabs. Uh, and that's what he did. Um, to be fair to him, Davis did pick up an injury halfway through. Uh, I think he broke his rib, if I remember. Um, and that was enough for Vasquez to kind of capitalise and, and step up a little bit um, after that point. All of that said, it was such a bad decision that Davis, on hearing the verdict actually being read out, went over to Vasquez and raised his hands to kind of proclaim him the rightful winner. In a sport where you all too often see both guys raise their hands at the final bell, kind of irrespective of how the fight actually went, the fact that Davis went over, raised Vasquez's hands, tells you all you need to know about that fight and, and fair play to him for that honesty too. I think Ritson will win a decision if it gets that far, but... If he doesn't get Vasquez out of there early and press the action and, and maybe kind of um, go to the body and really pile the pressure on, like Taylor did, um, and force a stoppage, it could be a bit of a long and awkward night for him. Um, Betting-wise, it's a very easy swerve, I would say, on the favourite. Now, Vasquez at 13-2, to two, I think, will be of interest to some people this weekend. Um, and you can kind of see the argument why. Obviously, there'll be no crowd um, at this fight, and you're taking... You're taking Ritson out of the, the bear pit kind of atmosphere of Newcastle. And that is, you know, that's a, a, an advantage for any fighter. Um, Vasquez, though, realistically, you know, it's four, five, six years past his prime. Only ever really lost to good fighters. Um, and most of those have been, you know, really elite fighters. Canelo and Tim Bradley and, uh, and Josh Taylor, of course. But uh, he's at a point now where he's certainly on, on the downturn. And Ritson, if he's really got the bit between his teeth... I think he will. He will do enough. Halfway through fight week then, and we got news about another fight on the matchroom card, or at least a fight that would have been on the matchroom card. Savannah Marshall versus Hannah Rankin was all set up for the vacant WBO middleweight title. That fight's now been cancelled, and Marshall's trainer Peter Fury has tested positive for COVID. Um, I think that's a real shame, actually. And it's a fight I was looking forward to seeing. Um, I enjoy watching Marshall fight. She's one of the few female fighters who not only really, really goes to stoppages, but actually has the power to get them as well. And it's such tough luck for her. She had a world title shot um, at light heavyweight cancelled in April as lockdowns were kicking in um, and now cancelled in October for her middleweight shot. From a betting standpoint, um, it's a real shame as well. Marshall versus Rankin was going to be the base for uh, my most confident and biggest bet of the weekend. Um, as it is, I'm going to have to tell you what that is and more about it when the fight gets rescheduled and I can preview it properly. Elsewhere on the card, a big move on one of the undercard fights. Uh, welterweight Joseph Laws briefly opened an unbelievable uh, 1 to 12, so minus 1200 with Paddy Power Betfair. Um, sorry, guys, you've had a shocker there. Um, and frankly, anyone backing Laws at 1 to 12, you'd be out of your mind. More about that move then. Laws opened at 1 to 12. Uh, minus 1200 that quickly became one to seven minus 700 quickly became eight to 15 quickly became three to ten seems to have settled now about one to four on um, so minus 400 after that very sharp correction Lawson is fighting Rylan Charlton an unbeaten fighter five zero and one um, who's now the general three to one underdog I'm not saying Charlton will win but this is a step up for Laws who He's had nine fights. He's only fought two guys with winning records. Um, I'd say he's kind of been feasting on these that type of guy, but it's probably more accurate to say that he's been making a bit of a meal of them. Laws is fun to watch, I guess, um, entertaining in the same way that Alan Babich is, um, albeit without that real concussive power. Um, very kind of amateur style. 
not the ABA kind of amateur style, but almost a white collar um, sense. And rule really isn't the word. Lawless probably gets it done, but there are far worse bets around than three to one um, on Charlton if you do fancy an underdog this weekend. That then brings me on to my next point and a subject that I've been trying to get into the show for a while. Now, all good boxing bettors, I think, should have uh, what I call a list, probably capital A, capital L. <laughs> How to explain it? The, the concept of the list is actually quite a cynical one. Um, but in a world where you're looking for opportunities, um, it's always one that served me quite well. The list then is either a physical list um, written down somewhere, updated in a spreadsheet somewhere, or simply stored safely in your head. I'll try and get this right and explain it as clearly as I can. The contents of the list should include the names of fighters that you're hoping to oppose at short prices or shorter prices than you believe them to be, as and when, or if and when, they go off as favourites, ideally as short price favourites in their next fights. So I've kind of grouped them into three categories. There may be more, but I think this kind of catches the vast majority. The first type of fighter to go on the list would be a, a real kind of quality fighter, maybe an A-list fighter who's past their prime um, and is getting to the point where they're really relying on name value. Um, they're, they're getting on a bit in age. They've taken a bit of a beating in previous fights, but maybe got away with a victory or a slightly dodgy decision. Um, but they're getting to the point where they're they're reaching a cliff edge. They're, they're kind of ripe for the picking in a sense, um, and you're just waiting for them to topple. Often that will come in what seems to be kind of an almost routine defence, um, but may actually just be poorly matched against someone who's kind of really on the up and up, um, someone who's got a bit of power that, you know, is just ready to take the older guy down. Trying to think of examples of this, I think a good one uh, would be Baddy Jack uh, when he lost to Marcus Brown. And then maybe actually when he lost to uh, Pascal as well. Um, now, the second group is the trickiest to get right because there are fewer telltale signs. Um, you're relying more on your own assessment, your own kind of eye test. And it's the type of fighter who, in your view, just isn't as good as the majority or the consensus would have you believe. Now, perhaps they've come off a big win. Uh, they've won a belt. But to you, they, they're not bowling you over. They still look vulnerable. You still think they're going to be found wanting against a certain style. And, and, you, and you're just not kind of buying into it. Now, this is the category with the lowest strike rate. You know, that's the nature of the beast. You're backing it at big odds. Um, and, you know, you're, you're certainly not going to catch them all. But there will also be fighters who keep proving you wrong over and over again. Because for whatever reason they've ended up on your list just because you don't you just don't rate them um, but they keep winning and they keep costing you money in the process that will happen and eventually either you stay stubborn and say well yep yeah, yep yeah, they're going to drop at some point or you remove them and say hey look they proved me wrong enough times I'm not going to back against them again now it feels great when this category lands um, but equally if a fighter has been on your list and they do get turned over and you haven't been on them you end up really kicking yourself because you think well They've been on the list and then for whatever reason you haven't done and you've missed out on the on the big um, underdog winning. I think with this group, what I would say is that you know them when you see them. It's very hard for me to kind of put my finger on what would qualify someone for your particular list. Um, but I'll give you some examples of guys that have been on my list um, in this group for whatever reason. Uh, Julian Williams was one. 
despite his win against Jarrett Hurd, I was, I've never been that convinced by him. Um, and though he may go on to prove me wrong, um, I'm still not, frankly. There's a lot of talent in that division, and they never really considered him to be among the elite of light middle. This will be a familiar tale, I'm sure, but I got as close to backing Rosario as entering him into the bet slip. Uh, looking at the odds, I can't remember what it was now off the top of my head, 12 to 1, something like that. Uh, entering my stake and then just not pulling the trigger. I think everyone can relate to that, and it's one that I... Uh, I didn't didn't end up staying up for that fight. It was a, you know, that was a, a late one for us in the UK. Uh, I woke up first thing in the morning, checked the result, uh, and lo and behold, uh, Rosario stopped him halfway through. Uh, so yeah, that was painful. Um, now another guy that I've never been convinced about is Adam Kalinatsky, uh, and I think I've said that on the show before as well. Nice guy, I'm sure, uh, and by all accounts, um, but just never really looked looked like it to me and he was getting a, a bit of a push as well um from the pvc a guy who you know when you look at the heavyweight division today not not top 10 necessarily but you know top 15 uh top 20 maybe you know tony yoka and philip hergovich really really good fighters and then you've got a guy like kalnatsky who you know clearly obviously not in good shape aesthetically but is winning fights on being scrappy, on throwing loads um, and just kind of volume coming forward, but not really convincing, well, not convincing me while doing it, just felt like he was, you know, he was a a definition of the list. He was right for the picking. Um, Hands up, I didn't think for all the world that Robert Hellenius would be that guy. But yeah, again, that's that's one that, that kind of stung a little bit and that's one that I missed. And that's the nature of this group of the list. That will happen. Um, but when you when you get them right, they, uh, they they feel good. This third group is probably the easiest to identify because I think they're a bit more common. Um, and it's still subjective, but in a way it's kind of subjectivity as part of a group because when you're looking, um, you know, if you're following people on Twitter or t- speaking to people whose opinion you really ex- respect, um, they will often be raising the same red flags about this um, this fighter. Um, I would define it as prospects or at least young fighters who are on their way up, who have, let's say, the, the hype machine behind them. They have either promoter backing, major or minor. Uh, they have a TV network or TV station, um, you know, happy to, to air them, or that they're a, a kind of a very good ticket seller and therefore they get a slot on the cards. Um, and what you'd be looking for is fighters who your assessment of their ability doesn't match the, how to put this, they're not as good in your view as everyone else is telling you they are. And the difference between this group and group two is more about where the noise is coming from. The noise being in this case from the promoter or from the TV, rather than in group two, where I think you're opposing more the kind of groundswell of fan opinion or, or expert opinion, let's say. You know, I think Laws is an example of that. He's not a blue chip prospect by any means, but he's a very good ticket seller. Um, certainly when crowds are in, there you know, there are lots of, of prospects that you can you can pick out. This one is really about timing, um, and you're looking for occasions where the prospect or at least the A side is being stepped up, perhaps too quick, or the matchmaking has been a little bit too a little bit too bold, or maybe you know they're being put in with someone who, for the first time, they. You know, they, they've got a style that the, the A-side just haven't come across yet. Uh, or, you know, they're just a really big hitter. 
Um, how often do you see prospects come off the rails just because they've been they've been chinned early on by the you know the unheralded underdog? The problem with this group as a better is that if the fight goes the distance, what you'll often find is that you there'll be a house decision and the A side or the prospect will will get the hands raised, uh, really regardless of how um, badly they've been beaten up or, or beaten um, along the way. A good example of this actually uh, we saw just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John Hedges, uh, an 18-year-old, making his debut on a matchroom card um, up against Jan Arden, who I think was two and four uh, at the time, but not a a journeyman in a sense, but not a journeyman who's kind of got 40, 50 losses on his record, not a professional journeyman as such, a guy who's still fighting, scrapping, and trying to work out what his role in boxing is. Um, Arden won, you know, the vast majority of the rounds. I think I gave Hedges one round in a uh, in a four rounder, and of course, in the UK, uh, usually in four rounders, the referee will be the sole arbiter. Hedges had his hand raised, but ended up on most people's um, list as a result. I think the burning question uh, you might ask is, who's on my list at the moment? Then, and I'm not going to give you all of the names because I think it's a really useful exercise if you are kind of trying to, um, you know, be be a bit more strategic maybe um, with your betting. Um, but I will throw a few names out there for you. Uh, I think. Laws is one we've mentioned, of course. Um, Alan Babich is another. Um, Jaime Munguia is, an, is a name that I think is, you know, I'm, I'm really waiting for him to take a step up. I think, I, you know, I just don't think he's got it, frankly. Um, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But, you know, if he was putting against someone like Chris Eubank Jr., um, for me, there's only one winner there. Um, Navarrete, I'm not totally convinced about. And if you're looking for candidates in Group 1, you know, the bigger names... Uh, the obvious name, of course, there uh, would be Golovkin. Uh, Kovalev would be another. And I think either of those matched incorrectly uh, or badly at this point would be trouble uh, and possibly, you know, could see them losing and getting retired at the same time. Now, I would hope that you don't need me to tell you that all of this is, of course, dependent on price, dependent on opponent um, and is the type of thing you assess on very much a case by case basis. I'm not going to be backing blindly um, anyone at kind of plus money against Jaime Munguia, for example. But it's it's kind of um, as I say, it's an exercise that these guys you, you put them almost at the kind of the front of your mind on on this kind of watch list to say, yeah, this is my opportunity. I, I I'm kind of just waiting for the the right moment there. That's about all for now. But the show will be back in time for Halloween. Usyk Chisora, Javonta Davis, Santa Cruz, uh, Inoue Maloney, a huge night for boxing. If you have enjoyed listening, please do share the podcast around on social. Tell your friends, leave a review on the App Store and so on. I hope you enjoy the fights this weekend. Please do gamble responsibly if you're gambling at all. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks. See you then.